Um, it's really good to be together. I, I am so excited to uh, be able to share this passage with you today. For those of you who haven't been with us long, we've been in a sermon series on Ephesians together that we've entitled, In Christ. And we saw in the first three chapters of Ephesians that we are rooted in Christ and that uh, the Father sent Him so that we could be adopted into His family. And in that, those first three chapters, we saw some of the most dense theological truths that you'll see in Scripture. We saw that we're in Christ, and we saw that that's a beautiful thing. And then in chapter 4, we turned a corner where Paul started talking to us more about how we're supposed to live in light of the truth that we've been given in chapters 1 through 3. And God's been having His way with us, hasn't He? He's, he's taught us that we can't hide impurity um, or jest about it casually. He's taught us that we can't self-peel in our battle for sanctification. He's taught us that we need to forgive one another, and He's helped us to do that. He's, he's helped us to be real with each other, and this passage we're about to read, or we just read, um, actually focuses on us being wise. So this is another one of those things that God's calling us to in light of what He's told us is true, that we're in Christ. So to start off, I have, um, I have a story about me being unwise. <laughs> so the last four years, I've actually uh, done an internship with Covenant Fellowship Church over the summer because I teach. It gives me that flexibility. And one of my primary jobs was to, uh, to run this youth outreach every Saturday morning. So I'd wake up early, I'd go get the church van, and I'd drive down to, to the Acme and load it up with the entire back of it filled with waters. I kind of dreaded it because it was a lot of work that early in the morning. Um, but, you know, this particular morning I had you know, filled it completely up, was finally done, was sweating already, even though it was like 8 a.m. And I was just, ah, finally that's done. Now I can get to the outreach and start leading. I got into the front seat. I went to turn the ignition, and I it was having trouble with it. And I just figured it's not my car. It's just some, some trick to it. I was still having trouble with it, and I, I started feeling something like, I was a little bit higher than normal in the seat. I was wondering what was, was going on. I took a glance behind me, and I saw car seats in the back. And it hit me in that moment that I wasn't in the church's van. I was in somebody else's van that, that looked exactly like the van from the church. And in that moment, I had a decision. I had two options. One was to just tell somebody from Acme... Okay, I, got, I put stuff in the wrong thing. Like, please, like, help me do this. Make sure this other person who owns this van isn't going to freak out. Or, with the option that I chose, unload it as fast as possible and get it into my van. <laughs> so if you were there that morning early with the, the lot vacated pretty much, you would have seen this six-foot-five huge guy throwing waters out of the back of somebody else's van into a, a shopping cart and hurriedly drenched in sweat at this point, uh, putting it into his own van. And I did get away with it, which was sweet, but <laughs> that's, that's, that's humorous, right? But it kind of reveals for us this, this truth that we all know is, is, is here, and that's that we're constantly making judgment calls in our life. Every really decision, every moment really, we have to have wisdom with what to do. What's the best thing for me to do in this situation that's going to give God the most glory? And so what does God tell us about decision-making? What does he tell us about wisdom? And that's what this passage says. He tells us to look carefully how we walk, right? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time 
because the days are evil, and to therefore not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And notice today that Paul starts that with look carefully. He's, he's, he's trying to help us to see that this is a topic that we need to give our attention to. It's not something that we can push aside as a secondary issue of some people are wise, some people are not, and we don't really have to worry about this. No, he's saying look carefully how you walk, no matter who you are this morning. He's saying don't scroll through Twitter. He's saying don't think about your plans for later today, but focus in on what he has to say about wisdom. And so I've, I've kind of boiled down what this passage tells us about wisdom to this sentence, and I've heard I go a little fast, so I'll try to say this slowly. What Christ has done must make us wise so that we maximize our lives. I'll say that again. What Christ has done must make us wise so that we maximize our lives. We're going to look at that theme of of being rooted in what Christ has done and maximizing our lives by the following two points. Point one will be wisdom roots us in God's plan. And then we'll look at how wisdom makes the most of our lives. So wisdom roots us in God's plan, and wisdom makes the most of our lives. In verse 1, so this is wisdom roots us in God's plan. In verse 1, we're told we are to walk not as unwise, but as wise. So what is this wisdom thing that Paul's referring to? With the, the, the topic of wisdom, there's probably no book that's influenced me more than the book by J.I. Packard called Knowing God. There's a chapter in it called God Only Wise. And in that, he gives two really helpful illustrations that kind of expose some of my false understandings of what I think wisdom is and what wisdom truly should be. The first one he, he, he tells us about is this idea that we think of wisdom as being in the control room of a train station. So if you're in the control room, you can see every single train line. You can see where the trains are on all of those train lines. You can see why they're delayed. You can see if they're going to be on time, and you can see if some of them are inactive or not. And we have a temptation to think of wisdom as an ability to see all possible avenues that we could take or understand all of our circumstances perfectly. But that's actually not what wisdom is. That's actually omniscience. And that's godlike wisdom that's kind of blasphemous for us to claim. Wisdom's more like driving in a car. You drive along, and you have decisions that hit you as you drive. Do I swerve? Do I not? The car comes in front of you. Do you shout? Do you not? Right? You have the tree that fell down on your normal path to work. What, do, what am I going to do in light of the circumstances that I do know? Wisdom's not a knowledge of everything. Wisdom's a knowledge of what to do with, with the knowledge that you have. So he gives this really helpful definition that I wanted to share with you all. I think we have it on the, the slide. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and the highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. So wisdom is the power to see. Can you see what you're supposed to do? The inclination to choose the best thing and, the, and uh, together with the surest means of attaining it. So knowing how to get to that pe- best possible thing that you can do. So wisdom's not only a knowledge of what is the best thing, but also how to do it. And, um, 
So immediately on the heels of that, so with that in mind of what wisdom is, we see another uh, sentence in this text that if you're like me, you immediately kind of thought, how am I supposed to do that? And that's the text of understand what the will of the Lord is. That's a bit of a heavy one, right? You're like, uh, how am I supposed to do that? And verses like these can actually sometimes be held up as proof that people should be audibly hearing from God uh, on their choices, even the most minute ones. And if that's the case, I've been doing it all wrong because I've never heard a voice from heaven tell me whether to crumple or roll the toilet paper. I've never heard from a voice from heaven tell me if you pronounce Qatar, Qatar, or Qatar, although there's probably a right uh, way to pronounce that. I've never heard what stock options to invest in. I've never heard who to marry, what to do, where to work. I never heard a voice. And I think a lot of us can relate with that. What does it mean to understand the will of the Lord. Now, I believe that God does speak to his people, right, even miraculously, sometimes through his own voice, sometimes through angels. But this passage is not telling us that we have to know some secret mystical will of God to live wisely. The broader context of Ephesians actually clearly defines the will of the Lord as specifically referring to the redemptive plan of God to save people in Christ. I'm going to show you this in two places in Ephesians that we've already heard about in this series. Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, uh, Paul says this. He says, In Him, and that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. You seeing the connection here? He made known to us what the will of God is when Jesus was revealed as the unifier of Gentiles and Jews in salvation. This plan was for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this understanding the will of the Lord is understanding what Christ has done and how he has unified his people. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, Um, that the mystery was revealed to him, wisdom was given to him, that the Gentiles were to be grafted into the family of God, and he prays that we might be able to understand that saving love of Christ, which surpasses understanding, that no love is higher, right, wider, no love is higher, no love is deeper, that idea that the the saving love of Christ is, is beyond us, but he prays that we would understand it, that we would go deeper in it, and he's saying To be wise, we've got to go deeper into what Christ has done. Wisdom is rooted in God's plan, isn't it? Now, here's a great question for us to consider as we think about that, right? We think about pursuing wisdom in light of what Christ has done. How does the fact that I'm in Christ impact the decision that I'm about to make? So maybe this morning you have a decision that you're kind of weighing through, you're praying. What, what is wisdom here? What does it mean that you're in Christ? How does that change your decision? How does the mission of Christ's church impact this decision? I know personally um, when Melissa and I were praying through whether we should come on this plant and join the leadership team, it was really hard. We were on one hand saying, Oh my goodness, what an opportunity to join with these amazing people in eastern Delaware County, many of whom we know and love, 
What an amazing opportunity to be under Tim and Andy and partnered with Alex. That's just incredible. But at the same time, we saw all these relationships that we had decades, um, we put decades into to form, and it was, it, it was so challenging. But when we actually made the decision to step forward, considering what God's mission's impact was on our decision, brought so much peace to, to taking that step of faith forward. And obviously, we are loving that decision um, and joining with you guys. How can God get the most glory, right, in our decisions? That's a, a very general way of saying it. And I, I fear, guys, I fear that far too often my decisions are more motivated by my comfort and entertainment than they are by the salvific plan of God, if we're honest, right? Do you say no to opportunities to serve simply because you don't really want to do it? Or do you say no because there's something else that you should be doing? Something that's better. Do you avoid that persistently friendly new person because you need some me time or because you want to honor God by resting on the Sabbath and acknowledging your weakness? You said no in both cases, but wisdom brings to mind who you are in Christ when you make that decision. You want to know one of my biggest issues? I can't say no to anything. Uh, I'm, well, I maybe I can say no to some things, like being a Dallas Cowboys fan. But most things I will say yes to. Uh, just the other day I was at work, and my boss came up to me, and she was like, so is it okay if we videotape you in class? You know, we'd like to have, you know, a lesson on videotape. And I was thinking inside my head, literally, I was screaming at myself, don't do it. You don't need to do this. You're so stressed out. You're trying to rent your house out. There's all this stuff going on. You don't need to. But of course, my mouth said, sure, that'd be great. I'd love that. <laughs> I just like compulsively want to do things. But you know what? Even though that videotape lesson went fine and it's all kind of water under the bridge at this point, I really, I was unwise in saying yes to that. I was choosing a good thing over the best thing that I knew in my heart was only going to take away from my ability to be effective in sermon prepping and in preparing um, to, to leave my family to the pastor's college. So what, where are you with this? Our lives are filled with like tons of good things, really good things. But do you just sort of choose things based on what comes across your path? Are you just kind of following whatever someone asks you to do and just drifting through life? Paul would say that that's not wisdom. Philippians 1 says something that's really similar to this. This is in verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Right? Not just what is good, but what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So living, de- living wisely demands, demands that we ground all our decisions in the will of God in Christ by asking what actions are the best to glorify our Savior. You see, in pursuing wisdom, we're really like pursuing the plan of God. It's not so much a what would Jesus do as it is what did Jesus do and how does that change who I am today and what I should do in my decision making in the future. What did Jesus do in my life? 
It keeps us rooted in God's plan when we think this way in our decisions. So, what Christ has done must make us wise. Now let's think about how this maximizes our lives, okay? So, point number two, wisdom makes the most of our lives. Let's read verses 15 and 16 again. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, that phrase, making the best use of the time, is actually taken from a story in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 2, where there's this grand, powerful king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar has all of these wise counselors that they're called the Chaldeans, who he brings into his courtroom on a certain day because of a bad dream that he had had. This was a bad dream of all bad dreams. And if you're like me, sometimes your dreams will create emotions in you that when you wake up, you can't shake them for hours afterwards. This is one of those dreams. Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of this massive man made out of tons of different types of metals that were sort of glowing, and then this rock that was apparently not hewn by hands but just formed naturally was thrown at this man and shattered the, the, um, the, the, the metal man into pieces. And for some reason, Nebuchadnezzar was destroyed by this. He was torn apart, and it literally says in Daniel 2 that sleep left him. He could not go back to sleep. And so he calls all the Chaldeans into his courtroom, and he says this. I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servant the dream, and we will show the interpretation. So they're sort of saying, tell us what the dream was about so we have something to go off, right? But the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So you can imagine the Chaldeans together with their knees, like knobbing, you know, like knocking together and just being completely terrified at this point. They're exposed in their false interpretations of dreams. And they say, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. They sort of just repeat the same thing over again. And here's where this phrase from Ephesians 5 comes in. The king says, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Make the most of your time. Same exact phrase there. Because you know the word from me is firm. So they aren't able to tell the the dream to him. And Daniel saves their butt by giving the right dream uh, interpretation. But why does Paul borrow this phrase? Why does he use this, you're trying to gain time, as actually a positive thing that we should try to pursue? There is an urgency to the decisions that the Chaldeans made. It was life or death. The word of the king was firm, and they knew that the next words that came from their mouths would determine if they were dead meat or destined for honor. We need to have this sense of urgency in our decision making. We need to use our time so wisely that it's as if we are gaining time. We are using our time as wisely as possible. Paul is telling us that wisdom isn't optional, it's vital, and that wisdom really matters to God. 
And the text tells us particularly that we must buy up time or gain time because the days are evil. It says that in verse 16. So what does it mean for us to be living in these evil days? Well, it means that we have limited time. It means that we're in the last days of man. That at any moment, the trumpet could sound and Jesus could return to judge the world that we actually sang about with joy a little bit ago. You can call us apocalyptic, right? But our songs and what we believe talk about the end as being very close. We need to make sure that we live like today could be our last day. We need to think of time in that way, right? Carefully planning for the future, right? Not saying we shouldn't do that, but holding it loosely, like it might end today. Romans 13 says this really well. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Living in these evil days, means that we have so many, so many options to do the wrong thing. Ephesians 4 says falsehood, sinful anger, thievery, corrosive speech, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander. They're all options that we could do wrong. Chapter 5 says sexual immorality, impurity, filthy talk, foolish talk. The world we live in is filled with shameful options that I've chosen, that you've chosen, and that we are tempted to choose again. There's a mighty drift, sort of like a magnetic pull, this kind of gravitational darkness that's pulling us towards things of dark and not towards things of the light. And we have to be serious about the decisions that we are making, friends. Carelessness, it feels good in the moment, but it wastes our lives. Wisdom maximizes our lives. Paul wants us to have the mentality about time that we've been given by God like this. How precious is time? This is David Brainerd. And how guilty it makes me feel when I think I have trifled away and misemployed it or neglected to fill up each part of it with the duty to the utmost of my ability and capacity. Oh, that I might not loiter on my heavenly journey. Oh, risen hope, might we not loiter on our heavenly journey? The time that he has given, might we see it as precious? And these decisions that we were given, might we not see them as as things that are our things? Might we see them as God's things? This time that we have been given, may we be good stewards of it. Now, a couple years ago, I watched a video that was entitled Hurt. um, And it was a song that was performed by Johnny Cash. Um, The song is originally actually written by Trent Reznor, a singer for Nine Inch Nails. But as I watched Johnny Cash sing this, it really affected me. 
This is not the Johnny Cash with the jet black hair and the jet black outfit with a guitar sort of filled with energy. This is the older Johnny Cash at the end of his life whose voice barely is croaking out a tune. And these are the words that he sang. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole, the old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become? My sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair. Full of broken thoughts I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You are someone else. I am still right here. If I could start again, a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way. Johnny Cash used to be the image of a rebellious generation. The most famous picture that I've seen of him all over the place is of him giving the middle finger to somebody. And in some ways, he represented something of defiance in that generation. And here we see a man at the end of his life looking back and saying that the time has been wasted. All, that, all the pleasure of drugs and fame did not yield him anything at the end of his life. Making the most of your time is what we need to do, right? Now, Johnny Cash, praise God, the Lord broke into his life before he died. There was grace that was given to him. And maybe you're like him this morning. Your life has been filled with, with wasting your time, with living for things that are not of, this, of, the, of, the, of the eternal kingdom of heaven. That grace is here for you too. God makes no discriminations when it comes to this. If you are living and breathing and you call upon his name, he will come to you and give grace to you and help all those stings and all the stains of time to be taken upon his son. All the things that we've done, all the decisions that we made foolishly, that we ran away from what God was telling us, even though we knew sexual immorality was wrong, we ran towards it. All the times when we knew foolish talk led to nothing good, but we still partook in it because it was funny. All of that can be placed on Jesus for you right now. There's no discriminations whether you're young, you're old, the beginning of your life, the end of your life, God wants to save you. But maybe you aren't at the end of your life. Maybe you look at your, your future and you think, I got time. I got time, right? A lot, of our, uh, a lot of our culture's philosophies are, I've got time. Well, if you've come to this church this morning, you've definitely driven past Lansdowne Avenue and um, State Road just down the street from here, a couple blocks where the McDonald's is. And you've probably noticed that there's a pole on the, one of the intersections there that's kind of decorated with some like green ribbons and some pictures and things like that. And maybe you've wondered why that it's decorated. 
Well, the reason for this is that a 16-year-old boy from Lansdowne was struck by a car while riding his skateboard in October 20th of 2012, and he had a red light, but it appears that he made such a tragically unwise decision to try to cross anyways, and when he was hit by the cross traffic, he did die a month later in New Penn Hospital. Just like that, his life was snuffed out. I'm sure that as he was crossing the street, he he was thinking about the next time he gets a skateboard or the next X Games or his potential girlfriend or the one that he had or maybe prom, right? Like a lot of high schoolers are thinking about right now. But in that moment, it was over. And that horrible tragedy so affected his family that to this day, they're still decorating that pole. Friends, I can't help but wonder if you've seen the wisdom in God's plan yet. Are you pushing things off this morning? Time is fickle. Do you see that everything that this life says is worth pursuing is worthless? That time invested in anything but the plan of God is pointless and will come back to you null and void. There's only one wisdom that gives us eternal riches. There's only one wisdom that makes the most of our lives. It's be thou my wisdom. Be thou my true word. Be thou ever with me and I with thee, Lord. Be thou my father and I thy true son. Be thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Riches, I heed not. The time that I might spent for riches of this world, we cast it aside for him and him only to be first in our hearts. O sovereign of head and my treasure, thou art. What is wisdom? The all-seeing eye of God beheld our deplorable state. An infinite pity touched the heart of the Father of mercies. An infinite wisdom laid the plan for our recovery. What is wisdom? Every moment that Jesus lived, he chose the best thing. Out of all the good things, he chose the best possible action with the best possible reasoning that could glorify and magnify the name that sent him. He always chose the best outcome and the best way to accomplish it. He lived in perfect wisdom, even as he was sent and empowered in imperfect wisdom. Do you want to know what wisdom is? Look at the cross. If you've trusted in Jesus, wrath that should have been poured out upon your head a fire that's unquenchable, an anger that would not be diffused by any plea for mercy was absorbed. The waters of mercy rained down. That fire was extinguished and a terrifying anger became a revitalizing love that gives us unstoppable hope this morning. This is wisdom in God. Amen. Now do you see that, that there's no hope without this plan. And this is, this is very serious. If, if you have not given your life to God, the wrath is welling up above you even now, waiting to be unleashed. Don't be deceived. Out of love, I have to tell you that God is just. He is good. He's good. But that means 
that he must punish sins to the fullest extent. And if you're not under the covering of Jesus, if you haven't given your life to him yet, if you have not asked for forgiveness for your sins and repented, God's plan of salvation, it doesn't include you yet. But don't risk another second. If there were lightning bolts crashing against the ground and thunder was shaking the very foundations of this place right now, would you not run from it? If the building we were on was on fire and the timbers that held it up were falling down and crumpling down around us, would we not run? Let us not dwindle away the time that we've been given. If you're seeing your need for God, He's calling you this morning. The Spirit of God is here, and it's not because I'm being loud or I have a microphone or anything like this. This is between you and Him, and He is calling you this morning. His plan of salvation can root you in a wisdom that will give you hope in your life and will help you to look back on your life and be able to feel a sense of freedom from the guilt that so many of our past lay hold of us with. Now, if you're trusting in Christ this morning, there's tons of application for this sermon. So much could be said, and I want to kind of close by talking a little bit about what Ephesians has to say are categories that we should look at in our lives that maybe can fuel our conversations um, for later today. Ephesians uh, the, the, te- the text that we were reading says that we are living uh, in the evil days. So that implies that we need to live resistant to the evil days. That's my first category for us to think about it. Think about those, those words that have been used up until this point. Falsehood, sinful anger, thievery, corrosive speech, bitterness, wrath, clamor, slander, sexual immorality, impurity, filthy talk, and foolish talk. All of those things are things that we cannot pursue and claim wisdom. You can't be doing those things and be wise. I remember uh, at TCA, my former school I used to teach at, I had a, a, an alumni come back, and he was, we were catching up about life, and he said, oh, man, I met this girl. We're living together. It's great. And he almost caught himself in that because he had revealed more than he meant. And, and, I, and, and he, he sort of like backtracked because they weren't married. But he said, it's all right, man, I pray for every night. And, you know, it's kind of humorous, but we do that sometimes, don't we? We, we think that just because our, we mean well, that it's okay to be pursuing things that the Scriptures clearly prohibit. Where God has made his will revealed to us and clear, the things that we should not do and the things that we should do, those issues we need to live according to the Scriptures. There is much gray in our lives. There's opportunities for us to have different convictions on many things. But there are some things, like the ones I just mentioned, that are black and white, that we cannot pursue. And if you are pursuing them this morning, I call you to repentance and to live in the wisdom of God. The second uh, category that we can see in Ephesians 5, it kind of comes right after our passage in Ephesians 5.18. It says, do not be drunk on much wine. So what does your consumption of alcohol and other liberties look like? Are those, those are probably categories we should be thinking about when we think about wisdom. Do you feel strongly enough about how you're pursuing those things that you would want to open up 
your, your use of alcohol and say, um, follow this to somebody who is a new believer or somebody that you just wanted to show how to develop convictions. If we're sort of hesitant to share what we are doing with those things, maybe we're not living in wisdom. So it's certainly worth us asking the question. Ephesians 5.18 then continues and says that we need to be filled with the Spirit. So what does it look like when you make decisions? Are you just prudent? Are you just considering what the most logical thing and practical thing is? Or are you dependent? In wisdom, we need to make sure that we're praying to the God to help us to trust Him and to give us faith for decisions that we make. Sometimes, things that we choose as Christians will look crazy to people that aren't Christians. Going to the pastor's college this fall looks crazy to all my coworkers. They, they think I've lost it. But that's okay, right? God has given us faith for that decision. Are you filled in the Spirit as you pursue wisdom? It also goes on to talk about giving thanks and submitting to one another, about working hard and putting on the armor of God. So Ephesians, I just encourage you to read through the rest of this book in anticipation of where we're going. As God reveals, these are the categories that we need to think through with wisdom of how we're pursuing them. Wisdom in fatherhood, wisdom in motherhood, wisdom in the workplace. That's where we're going. So the plan of salvation must make us wise so that we can maximize our lives. But take comfort in this. This season is temporary. There's a day coming when we will always choose the best way to glorify God. We won't be plagued with fallen mindset. Deep down in us will be written a desire to do the best thing. In heaven we'll be freed from this battle this battle that so much of us face. And we're going to have this ability to constantly glorify God with our lives, free from sin and wisdom. Let me just pray that God would help us to pursue wisdom this morning.